Hi, Steve here. I just wanted to say something at the beginning before we start the podcast proper. There's been an awful lot of stuff and you can't be unaware of the whole Black Lives Matter situation and the demonstrations, etc. Um, I believe that's really important. I believe everybody's lives matters, but Black Lives Matter. We need to be doing something about this issue. It's a problem that needs a solution. And my podcast about alpacas doesn't easily speak to that situation. And therefore, I've been trying to work out what to say, how to say, whether to say anything at all. Because firstly, who am I to say anything? But also, what on earth do I say? It's not easy to shoehorn it into a podcast about alpacas. But it's not that it's not important to me. It is important to me, but it's not the main subject in the podcast. So I just wanted to say something up front to mention it, but I'm not going to be talking any more about it in this episode. Hope that's clear and you understand where I'm coming from. Take care. This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece. Welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here, and welcome to Alpaca Tribe, the podcast for alpaca people everywhere. And today we have a special guest. We have Kerry Lord from Toft UK. And oh, we've got a treat in store. So she's going to tell us all kinds of interesting things about, well, menageries and crochet and her history. So Kerry, welcome. It's so good to have you on the on the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Really nice to be here this afternoon. Yeah, that's great. So now then tell me, when did you meet your first alpaca? And how did it make you feel? So I met my first alpaca a really long time ago. Um, I think I was 12. So when you first asked me this question, I had to go and have a little chat with my parents uh, about when our story started. So I met my first alpaca at the Royal Show um, at Stonely Grounds when I was probably 11 or 12, we think. And at the time, there will have been, I would say, probably less than 500 alpacas across the whole of the UK, including zoo stock. So nobody knew what an alpaca was. It was a really, really unusual word back then. And I do quite, I've always loved animals. Um, we never, we didn't own animals. Um, we had toyed with horses when me and my sister were younger, but we, we, I guess we were in a house that happened to have large, a large garden slash small paddock rather than coming from a farming background. But what my parents were searching for was something that would um, be able to stay in those small paddocks, be a really enjoyable animal, a manageable animal. And um, I'm one of four children, so they had four young children at the time. And they wanted something that they could handle quite easily, that didn't destroy their fences or eat their fences, which is what our horses used to do, um, and not um, puddle the ground. So I do really clearly remember, in fact, I can re I remember even walking around the corner and seeing these animals um, for the first time. I'm sure by the standards of the alpacas that are in our fields now, they probably wouldn't look 
anything like an alpaca and probably far more like a llama than an alpaca um, if I <laughs> went back and, and revisited what they looked like. But I remember them just looking so cuddly like you want I, th- I think they'll have been in full fleece despite the fact that it was probably August that the royal show used to be on um I think they'll have been in full fleece and it's I think it's just their lovely eyes um and that lovely cuddliness of them um, that I fell in love with and especially the colors I think seeing um a large um livestock animal in the kind of dark browns and the black spectrum was something I wasn't used to that you see a lot of sheep um sitting mm. in that white spectrum but seeing that kind of depth of um color and fiber is the thing that really appeals for me in an alpaca yeah no they are they are a unique animal and yeah, there is definitely something more behind the eyes than than most sheep i oh, know i'm biased i am <laughs> but, too so i wouldn't worry yeah, in yeah. Safe company. Yeah. <laughs> we're in safe company that's right yeah. <laughs> so and i think probably the listeners probably would agree as well so um tell us a bit about your background how did you have you always been involved with toft um, so my parents are Toft alpacas, um, Toft alpaca stud. And um, so that was me meeting my first alpaca when I was um, 11, 12. We went on, my parents went on to buy four alpacas. So we bought four pregnant females um, in four different colours. So one white, one light fawn, one fawn, oh, no, one brown and one black. Um, and each of us children were given an alpaca each. Um, so I right. had a, the black alpaca was mine. Um, and my brothers were brown. We were all allowed to name them um, and we were all allowed to pick a theme that the baby's names would follow. And right. I guess that's where the that's where the journey um, started. It really was intended to be a hobby back then. Um, but my parents and the, and the rest of us, all four children, rapidly fell in love with them. And Toft has gone on through the last 25 years to obviously expand up to, at one point at our, um, I think at our highest point, we had maybe 200 alpacas on the farm. And we're back at about 120 um, at the moment. So it has been higher. It it fluctuates in terms of the number that we have on site. Um, But we are dedicated, um, very much now focused on fawn and brown. Um, so it's fawn and brown that we tend to breed in um, as a specialist, but we've got all colours on site. So we have got cream and we've got fawns. We've got a real range and we've got surreys too. And the surreys. Oh, yeah. yes. I love the, I love the surreys. Yeah. We originally had wondered whether we might keep surreys ourselves, mm-hmm. um, but knew we wanted to start with Wakaya because we need to just get, get started. We're going to start. And uh, we've never quite got to the, the surreys, but I do. I do love the. Yeah, I, we've got about twenty-five series on site at the right. moment, um, and we started with we started that by accident too. I think we ended up by accident getting <laughs> one cream one in amongst a group of wakayas that we bought. Um, in fact, right. I think it might have even been that a, a wakaya female gave birth to a white surrey, an import from oh. South America, and then right. from there it was making the decision of well, obviously she'll be her genetics are going to be mixed, but are we going to decide to remake to a Surrey or not? And then it just kind of went from there. But what I love is the, again, the dark colored Surreys, I think are so Mm. amazing because you see um, sheep that have locked fibers like Wensleydales and um, kind of fibers like that, but you don't ever see them in that color range. So to see that silky lustrous fleece, but in a dark color is a really, yeah, really unusual thing on the Surreys. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can dye it, but it's the natural colours. Yeah, I think it's so when attractive. you, yeah, it's the natural colours that attract me. And even as a business moving in um, to knitwear and right the way to where we are today, we specialise in natural colours. Um, that is, I work to a 12 colour spectrum that goes from the cream through to the black. Um, and I think that comes from those amazing natural colours that you see in the field. When a new career is born, the most exciting oh. thing for me is, oh, what colour is it? What colour is it? <laughs> yeah. What, what colour is it going to stay? Because obviously they start off damp. Um, yeah. and, and as they dry and fluff out and stuff, 
you sometimes go, oh, okay, right. Yeah, totally some, different colour. Yeah. And then when you first shear them, like it's so exciting, that yeah. kind of first shearing um, when they're kind of one years old and it comes off and they're a totally different colour often underneath to what you think underneath, on the outside because of the sun yeah. bleaching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So you've always been around the alpacas and obviously with, with your parents, with the with the herd there. And then you moved into being involved with the the retail shop on Yeah, site? and the fibre. So what my story, um, I went off to university. Um, so I, I, yeah, I was quite hands-on with the alpacas. I had always been in the show ring with them. Um, I'd done the kind of, I'd always taken the animals around the ring because both my parents are judges. Um, then I went yeah. off to university and I guess didn't have anything to do with alpacas for the three years that I was there, maybe occasionally helping when I was back in the summer. Um, I did a degree in English literature. I had no intention of coming back. Um, I wasn't a knitter. I wasn't a crocheter. I didn't know anything about fibre. Um, but what then happened was I finished my degree and I intended to um, go back to do an MA or a possibly even further on into a PhD in literature. So I had nothing to do for a while. Um, And so I was tasked with finding someone to buy the fleece. So at that point, they probably had a a lot of fibre from the last couple of years worth of shearing. And they were saying, we're not quite sure who who is interested in buying this or what the options are at this stage. And that's where my journey started was, okay, right, well, there must be someone that will want to buy it. Alpaca's really lovely. Surely there'll be something that will want to buy it. (laughs) There was nobody that wanted to buy it. Um, at all at that stage so I couldn't find anyone to take the fiber off my hands so then I said okay well maybe I'll add value and I'll take it to the next stage so okay I've got a bit more time I'm good at researching let's see what we can turn it into so then we spun the first batches of yarn and to be honest they were string Um, I had no idea what I was doing Um, obviously I was cruising around with a lot of people that also didn't really know what they were doing um, because Um, British alpaca hadn't really been spun in the UK certainly hadn't been spun for the hand knitting market it had I think it was starting to be spun for the weaving market a lot more but a very different process to spinning um, deliberately within the UK for the hand knit market I learned to knit um, after those first dodgy batches because very very rapidly I was like there's no way I can understand like specification or what I'm looking for if I don't understand what happens next Uh, so I learned to knit And I actually um, then ran um, for a long time a team of hand knitters that work from home. So once I could knit, I I designed a basic hat pattern. And then I ran um, at its height. Again, there was about 30 ladies that work from home. And I would design a hat pattern. I'd spin the yarn. They would knit the hats for me. And then I would go out and sell those at craft fairs, um, country fairs, right the way across the UK. Right. So that's where it so, started. Um, yeah. Then we went through a huge recession, which completely changed my business. So when the recession um, came, all of a sudden, people didn't want to spend £50 on me adding that value for them. They were right. still very interested in it being British. They were very interested in it being alpaca, um, very interested in it being handmade and handcrafted. But what they suddenly wanted to do was to learn how to do it themselves they suddenly asked the question of, well, how much would it be if I, if I knitted it myself? If, can I have the pattern and the yarn? And so the business completely, again, almost really organically rather than with a business plan, transformed into mm. people buying the balls of yarn and the patterns and then me teaching them how to do it. So there was obviously a lot of people out there that could already knit. But the big thing that, um, I guess, drove the 
business growing at that stage was the fact that we offered workshops and we offered online tutorial from the very beginning to try right. and encourage the market to grow. Um, so it was people that had never done it before um, and, a, and a totally new mindset. So I think that people used to choose to knit because they thought it was going to save them money. Um, as in they, they <laughs> yeah. chose it through necessity. They, they chose sure. to knit their own jumpers because it was going to be cheaper than buying a jumper from a shop. That's no longer the case. The hobby industry and the craft industry, it's all about the time that you put in and the pleasure um, that you get in that. It's all about indulging yourself in something that has a brilliant story, um, that is the, the top quality thing that you can afford. Now, obviously, you can't necessarily afford alpaca for all of your projects, but to have mm. a, um, like all the time, but to have a kind of luxury project in your life where you savor every stitch, where you enjoy doing it, and where you make something where you understand where it's come from, you understand its impact on the environment, and you know that it's going to be a piece that you'll that'll be with you forever. That new yeah. kind of knitting, new age knitters and crocheters are all about really, um, yeah, buying the best that you can afford, and it's completely changed the way um, the way the hobby works, the way that people decide to learn to knit and crochet. Yeah, I just looking at the thing, working with it, but having the finished article as well, you you it just creates a smile. Yeah, it does. And and the, a quality yeah. finished item that you know will keep you warm, will wash really yeah. well, um, and will continue to get better with age rather than be disposable, something that you've made, you maybe wear it twice and then you don't wear it again. Yeah, so they're obviously, <laughs> I was gonna, pardon the pun, I was going to say they're strong threads yeah. in, in people's current approach to, to life generally in terms of food and, and other things uh, as well, and obviously into textiles as well. Yeah, and right. mindfulness. I think that's really important yeah. that as um, screen time has gone up with all of us in our lifestyles, I mean, certainly in the last 10 weeks, the amount of um, screen time that I think we've all done um, has gone through the roof. To be able to switch that screen off, do something with your hands, something that is productive where you see what you've done with your time at the end of it, I think that's been really important for a lot of, a lot of mental health. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about Edwards Menagerie and how that came about. So um, I ran Toft um, focusing on knitwear. So very much uh, making kits and designs that people would want to wear. So hats and scarves and jumpers, uh, maybe occasionally into home furnishings. So cushions and blankets for a long time. And that got me until um, nearly eight years ago. I could knit, um, but I certainly hadn't um, de delved into this crochet thing. Um, that was that was totally new. Um, that was still very much not fashionable. So knitting had resurged and become popular, and there was this new generation of younger crafter, but crochet wasn't really um, touched. It hadn't yet resurged. I was pregnant with my son, who is called Edward um, now, but I didn't know that at the time. And I worked until my due date at TOF. So I was still doing shows. Um, at the height of our shows, I did 52 a year. So literally wow. every single weekend, I did some <laughs> form of craft. As a commitment, that's a commitment. It is a commitment, um, but it was the best way for me to develop the product because sure. I got face-to-face -face feedback constantly from the customers that were actually buying it. And I think it, it's still really key to me is to go out and do the shows myself. So I still do do 25 a year, even now, yeah. where I will go and make sure that our customers are hands-on with what we're doing and that I can listen to what, what they're interested in and what they like and um, what they think of Toft. Um, so I gave I, yeah, stopped working on my due date thinking, this baby's not going to come unless I actually stop being at work. Uh, so I sat at home. I sat down for probably about an hour 
on the sofa until I said, I'm really bored. Um, I'm going to have to do something. <laughs> so I watched a YouTube video to learn to crochet. And I learned one stitch, the British double crochet stitch. And then that night, um, by the time it was kind of seven o'clock that night, I'd made an elephant. I'd crocheted an elephant in <laughs> alpaca yarn that was sitting by the side of my sofa. So obviously I had this lovely stash of my personal alpaca yarn that I saved the best yeah. gain from every batch we've ever made. <laughs> so it's quite expensive. Uh, Save yeah. the best ones. That was all down the side of the sofa. And I, yeah, I picked up the hook and I was able to make a shape in a way that I couldn't with knitting. So crochet allows me to build right. 3D shape really quickly, um, really simply with hardly any stitches. There's hardly any seaming. Um, so the bit that a lot of people hate when they're kind of making an animal or a toy is how you sew it all up at the end and how you turn it into a 3D shape. This style of crochet, you actually crochet it 3D. So there's very little that you put together at the end. So I made an elephant that day. And then I made a bunny the following day, and then I made a zebra the next day, and then I actually made 14 animals before my wow. son arrived because <laughs> he was oh, two well weeks done. late. <laughs> um, and in that, I very, very quickly saw how addictive it was, how easy it was, um, and how fast it was to progress skills-wise um, to ones that were more advanced. I didn't really think anything of it, but the second that my team, um, and my team um, at the time, I think, were mainly um, young women in their 20s, the second right. that my team came and they saw these animals on my mantelpiece, they weren't remotely interested in the baby. They were only interested <laughs> in the animals on my mantelpiece. And they were like, What's, right. what are these? What is this? How do you do this? What, can you teach us how to do this? And Fantastic. the second I saw that, I realized that they, they weren't going to just be for children. That yes, I was motivated by making them for um, my unborn child and the second even people like midwives and all the people that were passing through my house at that sure. point saw them they they thought they were brilliant for children but the second I kind of saw someone that was 21 walk in and see the animal and was like I, I want to make that for me I realized yeah. the potential of Edward's menagerie um, way way beyond anything that Toft had ever done before is it just had a really universal appeal um, to a two totally different marketplace a really broad spectrum marketplace and so it just really went from there. Um, the first kits were released um, probably as, as little as three months after I made the first one. So we quickly put right. um, a handful into production as kits. And then we launched it for the first time a year after that. So the September following um, when Edward was one. And it just it just boomed as soon as it went out there. Um, we literally sold. So on that, that, that's the book. Yeah. Well, that was yeah. actually not even the book. That was a big oh, right. collection of kits. And we sold okay. every single skein of alpaca yarn that Toft had in our entire inventory at the first wow. show that I launched it, that I stood there <laughs> and we sold every single ball of alpaca yarn we had made, at which point yeah. I said, oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's a problem. Yeah, there, there's a problem. Um, I think we're now going to have to work out what we, how we're going to now supply this demand because that is when I did the book deal. And that meant okay. that all of a sudden there were going to be hundreds of thousands mm. of people with these Everywhere. patterns yeah. Um, across, yeah, across the world that would want to get the yarn in order to make these animals. Um, so that was the, probably the biggest hurdle that I've ever faced was because all of a sudden we had too much demand and not enough supply to be able to grow the business um, to the next stage. And I didn't want to disappoint those people. People saw these animals and saw the pictures of alpacas within there and wanted to yeah, create their own animals with that yarn. Yeah. I, it's a real challenge to, <laughs> to be successful um, yeah. and, and to scale in a way that 
that you've got enough control over that, that it doesn't kind of mushroom but fizzle out because you can't meet that demand yeah and to so make you, you, sure you, i think to make sure yeah. you have a margin is one of the most important things and yeah, i say this yeah. a lot to alpaca owners when they um often do grab me and maybe ask for my advice if they're in the early stages of spinning their own fleeces into yarn the most important thing that i cannot emphasize more is to make sure that you really are doing great maths on how much it costs you to process that and alpaca yeah. is worth it a good quality alpaca yarn is 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 expensive it should carry a high price point it really is a special fiber it really is rare um the fact that it's maybe manufactured here in the uk and you can trace it right the way back to source that's a really really special thing don't be afraid of the price point that you put on it make sure that you aren't undervaluing it um because that's mm. where it can all go really really wrong you can work very hard and when you crunch the numbers at the end of the year think oh dear <laughs> oh dear <laughs> <laughs> um yeah yeah i've had I'm a really subsidizing good time this. yeah yeah or oh, i think i've had a really good time and that's been brilliant but but where do i go now how do i yeah. how do i manage to do that again and you might have to then up your prices it'd be a lot it's a lot easier to set them realistically um at the beginning so that you don't have to do that at any stage yeah i suppose in doing that you actually exclude some people in terms of some people are going to say well that's that's, that's too expensive yeah, I, you I can, do. I can buy. I can buy yarn cheaper than that. Well, yeah, fine. you do. Can I buy mean, you just have but to it, accept that. That, yeah, that is, yeah. um, alpaca is a luxury fiber, um, and deservedly so. It's really soft. It's lovely to work with. It's super warm, um, and it, it is a luxury fiber. You can buy a ball of yarn for for fifty p if you. If that's, if that's what you can afford and if that's what you would like to do, then you absolutely can. But equally, you could buy, say, say if we put some grammage on that, say we go for a 100-gram ball, you could definitely buy a 100-gram ball of acrylic for 50p um, from yeah. um, any of the supermarkets. Quite a lot of the supermarkets now stock yarn um, over the last few years. But equally, 100 grams of a top-quality yarn, so ours would be um, £18 for 100 grams, that could stretch if you added value in with a hand dye or something like that. Maybe you added another fiber on top, like adding silk in or an extra luxury blend fiber. I really do think you could probably find that for 50 pounds. So right. that much um, across 100 grams of yarn, um, subject to its kind of history, its composition, um, its story, it can be anywhere from 50p to 50 pounds. And that is, that is massive. Yeah. So just make sure that you pitch yourself at the right point obviously don't um don't make it too expensive don't price yourself out of that market but make sure that you've got your price at a point that's fair to you and to and to the alpacas that have grown that fiber for a whole year on sure. their back yeah 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 and that that the, the price and the, the the value that's there for people is is really important and i think for people who are, th who are listening, who are thinking of of doing something, I mean, you can do it at a, at a craft level. To develop it as a business, it does need to have the appropriate sort of price point, as you as you say, mm. um, and have a long term goal with that, so that it's it's able to be sustainable. Sustained, it, yeah, and yeah. then that's growing something that's a good that that is a good thing. Um, that yeah, you can sustain it then into the following year because that is what's difficult is once you do develop that demand for your product and you get a reputation for it you need to be able to do that and scale that up um and that yeah. that is, yeah that is one of the biggest challenges about um going like building from craft right the way through especially with the scale of the mills that are your options in the uk um actually yeah. there's less options now 
than there were about probably about seven, eight years ago. There was probably the, mo- the most options in terms of how you could process your alpaca in the UK. That's now come back down again. Um, it, it, but it, it will fluctuate. I'm sure it will continue to fluctuate as new people come in, as machinery is acquired, um, as different people become interested in that. Um, but you still do have mini mill options available and mid scale sure. mill, mills available. Um, the the processing on a larger scale is probably the most challenging in the UK in terms of alpaca at the moment. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's it's still a, a an early stage mm. growing in terms of uh, of the national herd and and the amount of fiber that's available, etc. So you 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 started with this book yeah <laughs> with 50 patterns yeah um i was delighted i, I went looking and and, and so and, and it's there it's in it's in french as well yeah really korean um it's yeah. in swedish it's in finnish um and that is so exciting like for me um to see and handle the copies um yeah when when they're in foreign language it's really exciting yeah yeah. So you started with it's almost like a cookbook full of recipes. Yeah. Um, to to kind of produce these. these to produce the animals, yeah, and it teaches you now, how to do it. So the step by steps are yeah. all at the back to teach you how to do it, and then yeah, it's effectively very much like a recipe book for how you yeah. put all the parts together to turn it into an animal. Yeah, and I love that it's it's kind of almost modular. That the, the the shapes, the body, the the, the legs, and things are, are very similar with variations, but but it's 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 a thing that anybody can get hold of and get started. But it also can become extremely. There's some, there's some absolutely gorgeous things. So we're going to have the link in the in the show notes. So people can can go visit the website and see all these things, uh, and also check out the, the the books and things. So, how many books now? Um, so I am seven books in now, but I've got wow. um, four publishing this year. Um, right. So it's I... about to yeah go, go past ten. All in crochet, all still just yeah. using one stitch, um, always yeah. with the mindset of that a beginner could pick that one up for the first time. They go around lots of different themes. So there's dolls where you can flip the pages to make mini me's or make your favorite characters from TV and I, things like I that. Did, I did notice very, very current. With, there was a nurse with a Yes, there <laughs> was. So yeah, we did. <laughs> PPE. Um, we released an NHS doll. Um, and yeah. we actually we fundraised um, over six thousand pounds for the Trussell Trust um, with that during fantastic. lockdown. Um, that which is was, That was an amazing project, um, and yeah, I'm so grateful for, that our customers like got on board with that and really supported that as we did some fundraising. Yeah. Um, we've also there's dinosaurs, there's um, monsters where you design their own. Um, there's minis. The ones that are coming out this year are minis. So there's some ocean themed ones. Um, right. Obviously, lots of alpacas. I have three alpacas. I have a, a standard sheared <laughs> alpaca, an elite wakaya, and a suri right. <laughs> within well, the crochet alpaca collection. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. So, and then that's the the books and the the various things, but obviously the website as well. And there's there's. The and kits are available. Yeah, and there's kits. So I guess what happened then, the very the next big stage, uh, once that demand got really high, is we scaled up and we produced a lot more alpaca for a long time to um, feed that demand in. And then I had the next challenge, really, which was actually that we I, I couldn't sustain the growth of business with British alpaca. I just couldn't get my hands on enough of it. Um, of the highest of the highest quality in the right color spectrum range and find the processing here in the UK to meet the demand that was then being asked for. So I had to um, make a really big decision about um, a fiber base on whether we whether we would stay a British processing and manufacturing company 
that might have to expand into other fibres, or whether I remained absolutely true to it being alpaca, but accepted that that alpaca was going to have to be um, sourced in South America and probably processed in South America um, in honesty before it would then come in as an import. And I did debate that for a long time. I went through lots of options and routes. Um, and obviously, I had really pursued trying to do it with British alpaca to begin with. Um, it just the scale just wasn't there to take us to the next level. So at that stage, I decided to move into um, wool. Um, so a really high quality British wool that would be processed here in the UK and yep. still sell alpaca. So as a direct retailer on our website, we still sold alpaca and still do sell alpaca, um, although albeit once a year right now because we we sell it so quickly when it comes in now because there's so much demand really? yeah. for the fleeces that come off our herd. Um, but we do still sell alpaca, and then we sell a wool range, a really high quality wool range alongside it with a similar micron to baby alpaca, so sitting right down at kind of um, eighteen, nineteen micron and below. Right. Yeah, and that then allowed me for the first time ever to wholesale. So until that point, which was only five, six years ago, we'd only been ever been able to direct retail. So I went out and did all of those shows. We sold online, but I could not wholesale that product into other shops because we did not have enough margin. The second that I moved into wool, we could suddenly offer a wholesale margin to all these retailers that had been knocking on my door for a few years. Um, so the most amazing thing is because I'd built such a reputation with the books and with doing all the shows is that I had managed to kind of stumble across the buyers from John Lewis and the buyers from right. Liberty and the buyers from lots of different shops that we're now stocked in. And I had to say no to them. For, for two to three <laughs> years, I had to say, no, I'm really sorry. And they obviously beg you and they offer you a lot of things. And I had to say, <laughs> no, I'm really sorry. I don't have enough yarn. <laughs> I don't have enough structure. I don't, I don't have the ability to be able to do that well. When I have that ability, I will come back to you and I promise you, I would love to work with you, but but I can't do it until I'm ready. Um, and thankfully, I did then. I was then able eventually to get back in touch with them and say, those kits that you did want, um, I can now offer them to you. No problem at all. I'm ready. And that changed the business completely again then about five years ago when we started to stock into other shops. And we're stocked worldwide. So we stock into um, lots and lots of independent knitting shops. So seriously, right the way across the world, um, the yeah, US, um, Singapore, um, a really, really international, huge in Australia as well um, over the last couple of years. And then we stock into a lot of the British high streets. So John Lewis, um, Paper Chase, um, Liberty, Dobby's Garden Centres. You can now right. stumble across tough kits in places that you don't expect to see them. Often I get texts of people that are like, oh, I've, I've just seen, seen the tough kit. Um, yeah, but the range fantastic. is so wide. So there's now over 500 different animals in the collection um, in yeah. terms of our knitting kits, because we do also do knitting kits as kits that go onto shelves too. Um, there's dozens of those for different hats and um, scarves and things like that. The range is so wide that when what's quite nice is the fact that, um, that they don't really compete with each other. So a shop might just choose to stock sheep and just stock yeah. a range of five different sheep, whereas another one might just stock the hats. Um, and so it's it's really nice that the range can um, can be shown, but you can cherry pick the bits that you want for your store. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's 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 really interesting. And all it began with you being bored. 
yeah. sat on a, on the sofa waiting for Edward to be born. I'm quite, uh, yeah, and I'm, I am, I've really enjoyed it. Like I, I have no regrets over, it's been 14 years now and it has been hard. Like I, I often yeah. people say that where they're like, do you like, do you ever take a day off? And I'm like, well, I actually, I do now take far more days off than I ever have done in the 14 years because I've got it to the point where it's at. Um, but I didn't really think about that. I really enjoy talking to people. I really enjoy creating things. Um, and I really enjoy sharing that with other yeah. people. Um, so I just kept going. I just booked, as soon yeah. as I had some money, I booked some shows and then I made some more yeah. money at those shows and then I booked bigger shows. So I guess the yeah. first shows I booked were probably 10 pounds for a craft table, which I think a lot yeah. of alpaca owners certainly will be um, familiar with is you pay 10 pounds for a table and you hope that someone's going to buy something from you. Um, and I gradually just that built that up until the size of trade stands that we have now, which are eye watering amounts of money in order to have a big yeah. trade stand at a prominent event like Crufts even for example so we right. we exhibit at Crufts because I've I've crocheted over a hundred different dog breeds um right. and so we take a trade stand at Crufts so that people can learn to crochet their own dog um, and again that's oh, yes. that's really exciting for me because those people weren't going there thinking that they were going to a craft show they've usually never crocheted before and they certainly have never like taken a label off a ball of yarn before but because of yeah. their love and their passion for their dog breed it opens up a totally different marketplace for them they start yeah. by making their own dog like their labrador and then they're off then all of a sudden they've got a whole new hobby in their life and they come back yeah come back and enjoy more and more yarn and different projects yeah, amazing. Now that's an awful lot of of different animals, and they've all got names. They have so how, on earth, names. how on earth do you come up with the name? It fe feels like it could be a uh, a Friday afternoon brainstorming session. Would, would come up with a new new batch of names, or do you do do them all yourself? Or um, I do most of it myself. Um, so it is uh, quite terrifying. English literature at, at work. <laughs> yeah, they often they will uh, name themselves. So as I'm crocheting them, right. the name will become apparent. Um, and then, but other times they are requests. So a lot of them are now people that I know. Um, my whole team right. and they, like, they have animals named after them, um, as oh, do my fantastic. wider family. Um, they yeah. also have stories. So within the pages of the book, um, right. the animals do actually have stories. So say Simon the sheep is a dentist. Um, Seamus the alpaca <laughs> is into amateur dramatics and kind of um, practices his Shakespeare in the shower in the morning. Um, so yeah. they, I guess that's where, uh, that's the only bit that really allows my degree. <laughs> <laughs> to filter in with some relevancy to what I do is the fact that they do all have stories um, so that they are kind of characters that you can enjoy as, as you're learning to crochet them. Yeah. So do you have a favourite? You started with I'm, an elephant. I'm not supposed to have favourites. You're not supposed to have favourites. Okay. <laughs> so, so I won't ask you that. Do other people have favourites? Absolutely. And which, what's what's one, of, one of the best sellers? Yeah. So uh, my, my favourite, um, actually, truth be known, is always the last one that comes off my hook because I'm as right. addicted to doing a new one as everybody else. That's what people often right. say. Is, Why are there so many? I'm like, I can't stop. <laughs> I can't stop <laughs> making the next one. And people now, obviously, it's so established with um, so many customers that enjoy them that every day I get requests for new animals. Um, where someone right. will find a really unique lizard that that maybe there's only 300 left yeah. in the wild and they're like Kerry you need to make this you need lizard. to save it <laughs> yeah so they, they send me the um they send me pictures they do the research for me it's brilliant and they send me the pictures yeah. and then I get it on my big long list to work on them um yeah so yeah that that is absolutely amazing the most popular one um, is still Emma the bunny which is that second right. one that I made she yeah. remains the best-selling kit in every single territory that she's sold in 
Interesting. Mm. Interesting. I think then uh, my favourite would be Winston, the Aardvark. Yeah, the Aardvark. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's just, he's just <laughs> fantastic. I love Aardvark. But, but also, because we're in Wales here, I, I, I probably ought to also like Anharad, the, the donkey. The donkey, yeah. Yeah, uh, so nice, nice see and Harrod being in there as a name, and so <laughs> yeah, no, really interesting that kind of whole whole breadth, and it's something for everybody, really, isn't it? Yeah, it really. I mean, that's what I people buy them for such different reasons too. So I think yeah. some people have a favourite animal, and so they'll be drawn to giraffes, for example, because they say I love sure. giraffes. Other people really get a chuckle out of buying a weird animal that's called the same name as their husband or sure. <laughs> their brother, where they think it's yeah. really, really funny to buy Sandra the tapir and crochet it for their Auntie Sandra um, for their birthday. Yeah. So that it's, the motivation with the names, it kind of it weaves into it in a, in a way that I hadn't expected at all. And yeah. it was just, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to make people laugh, uh, spread a little bit of joy around. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been with the whole covid 19 lockdown and everything it's it's been a challenging time and, and things have had to be rejigged in terms of how the business is operating a lot of it is obviously still continuing um but you've also been doing quite a lot of stuff online uh, i mean you've been doing you were doing that anyway i think but. yeah but it will it definitely is going to have a long term um development for the way that the business will run so we have we've remained um functioning online throughout so we didn't thankfully didn't have to close the website at any point um we were actually quite quick so i um moved um our team off site before we actually went into official lockdown so we were a little bit more prepared um i think than some businesses that suddenly got forced into um changing the way that they worked so most of my team continue to work from home um, as it currently stands. We have a skeleton team here that are picking and packing the orders. And the biggest difference really is the fact we can't teach those face-to-face workshops. So we were teaching about 60 people a week face-to-face here at HQ where they would come, we'd yeah. enjoy some coffee and cake. Um, we do beginner, intermediate and advanced classes um, and people book those online literally months in advance and they'd come and enjoy yeah. those. Unfortunately, I have actually cancelled those for the whole rest of the year um, because I don't believe we can safely teach. It is a very um, close, personal sure. thing um, in a relaxed environment. So we're not going to be doing any face-to-face teaching. So instead, um, what I'm going to be doing a lot more of is um, online teaching. So a lot more um, Instagram lives with questions and answer sessions, um, an awful lot more YouTube videos, and really focus on making sure that we can still teach those people that wanted to mm. learn to crochet and um, just in a slightly different way from a distance where they can pause, rewind, and replay it as many times as they want to. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. So in terms of, of crocheting, I, I, I did have an aspirational purchase at some point mm. and bought and not I didn't buy one of your kits unfortunately um but I did buy some crochet hooks and I didn't really know what I was doing I didn't really know what I was what what size what you know the and there's the soft grip ones and there's all kinds of fancy yeah. stuff that, that's available so if if it was somebody who's trying to get started in, in crocheting what would be the kind of the main thing you'd say would be important to, to, to end up being a good good at crochet so I think the main thing is to choose something you actually really want so right. you need a motivation because that's what I had lacked I could have learned to crochet probably 10 years before I actually learned to crochet but I didn't actually want anything as in I didn't want to just work learn the theory for the sake of the theory what I wanted was to make a toy and so I learned the bricks that I needed to be able to build that toy so what I would say to you if you are thinking you want to learn to crochet is choose what you want to learn to crochet 
So it might not be a toy, but it might be a blanket, say, or it could be a hat. So choose a project where you know you want the thing at the end of it um, in order to give you that motivation because the early stages of learning anything new are going to be difficult. There's going to be points that are frustrating, points where it feels awkward in your hands and points where you want to throw it on the floor and give up because you've got to count. (laughs) And that is quite key with crochet. You do have to count. Um, To begin with, it feels quite disciplined. Um, Eventually, that's the joy and the pleasure is the fact that you lose yourself in that kind of rhythm um, of the numbers and of counting as you're doing something. So um, choose a good project. And then I would say choose good materials. Um, that really is, right. um, it's, it's not a sales pitch. I would choose the best quality materials that you can afford because um, you tend to find it will make it easier to learn how to do it. So using a softer yarn, like a wool or an alpaca, you're going to have a bit more give in your stitches using something like an acrylic or a cotton you can be fighting them because they're quite hard especially when you're learning you might be pulling everything a little bit tight that'll be made one level harder by a yarn that doesn't have a lot of stretch or give in it crochet hooks like you said again you get what you pay for um you Mm. all of us have probably a dozen crochet hooks that you've inherited from somebody that gives them to you um but the crochet hooks from a few decades ago tend to be quite uncomfortable in your hand they tend to be really small totally different um to hold whereas now the market is flooded really with different size comfortable hooks to make sure that um it's it's nice to grip in your hand if you go for a good quality kit and this is not a toft uh, sales pitch at all <laughs> if you go for a good quality kit though you should get all of that included which means that you right. don't have to find anything extra and that's really important to me too so say our kits um, the likes of which would be on the shelf in a in a shop, you get absolutely everything. So you're going to get your ball of yarn and you're going to get enough to make sure that if you go wrong a bit, you've got plenty. So say you're right. making an elephant, you'd have enough to make six legs, chuck two away and keep your best four <laughs> to put onto your yeah. final elephant. Um, well, that's a good tip. You'll also be getting, obviously, your crochet hook. You'll be getting your sewing up needle um, because that's quite important too is to make sure it's a... Me- right. It's like, it's the kind of thing you don't yeah. think that you'd need But if you've never used wool before, and wool is really thick, you're not going to get wool through a normal sewing needle. Um, So you get your wool needle, you'll get your stuffing um, inside, because again, that's another thing that you're going to need to complete the project. Obviously, you'll then get um, the pattern and the video backup. And I think that's the important bit too, is if you haven't got somebody to teach you directly, Mm. so one-on-one that can pass those skills on, make sure that the kit that you've got has its own set of video instruction because it can be quite difficult to learn to crochet from one person's video and another person's pattern. This is because um, crochet, it seems to vary quite a lot in the way that people approach it in how they write write it down. And that can be very, very difficult if you've got, especially if you've got an American video which um, dominates YouTube, actually, are the US videos. They have different crochet terms to the UK ones. So just be a bit careful there if you are doing it for the first time. Pay attention to the accent. Um, there is a difference <laughs> in the stitches between the US versions of patterns and the UK ones. Yeah. Okay, useful. Oh, that's, that's, that's a really good set of starting points mm-hmm. for everybody to to pick up and, and get going. So there's places to get the, the stuff. Now, where's the best place to find you? Um, uh, and if, to find the pictures and the videos and all that kind of stuff. So if you just put Toft into YouTube, we'll come up no problem. Same on Instagram. Um, Instagram's a great place to follow us. We have a really active community of people um, that will help you out. Often someone will ask a question, use the hashtag Ed's Animals, and somebody will get back to you before I do. Um, because, as some, <laughs> yeah, because, because there's yeah. so many people that enjoy sharing what we have. 
Um, it really is about a community. It's a two-way conversation. Yeah. It's seeing what you do with the patterns. You take my patterns and you make them even better because you do them in different colors and you maybe add extra bits and pieces on here and there. Um, and I really enjoy seeing that. That's what it's all about for me. That keeps me inspired um, and wanting to keep crocheting the next thing. Excellent. Kerry, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, we could have carried on for a lot longer because of, you, because of the, the enthusiasm and the, and the passion obviously come through. Um, so do go check out the website. Do check out these links. There's, there's, you want to get started? There are videos and instructions and places you can pick up the bits and pieces and pick up a, a kit, which has got all the things you'll need. So it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and I need to, to rush off and get my own kit now, don't I? So I have to go for that aardvark, I think, Winston. So, yeah, thank you very much. You. Great to see you, and we'll be in touch. This is the Alpaca Tribe, and I'm Steve Hetherington. Have a good day. <laughs>